You know, one of the most important people on your real estate power team is a good legal counsel. And if you can find somebody who is not only a lawyer, but really understands real estate from the inside out, ideally is an investor themselves, then you have struck pay dirt. And that's exactly what we've done here today with today's guest, zooming in from beautiful Toronto, Ontario. Antonio Domino is not only a real estate entrepreneur, he is also a lawyer who focuses in on real estate. So Antonio, welcome to the call. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Dave. All right, my friend. So, hey, tell us a little bit about the Antonio Domino story. <laughs> How did you get into law? Heaven forbid we got another lawyer hanging around. I tell you what, yeah. Yeah, but we everybody gives lawyers a hard time. I'm just joking, <laughs> here, of course. So how'd you get into law? And then how did you get into real estate? Or did it work the other way around? Did you start in real estate, then get into law? Tell us a little bit about that. I'm always, always curious. Yeah, for sure. So I actually sort of started in real estate. I was, you know, my first, I remember reading my first book in literally my last exam of undergrad and I did history in English. So not a very practical undergrad. Hey, I, I had one of the, I had one of those BAs, which I call a basically asinine degree. <laughs> Mine was psychology. So I relate bad. I, I hear you. English yeah, and history, and, not so bad. Yeah. And like after my last exam, I remember picking up the book that everybody probably the, knows. The purple one. Yeah. The purple book. Yeah. And that, completely changed my view of life, my view of work, my view of money. And that, you know, I was hell bent on going to law school at the time. I, you know, always wanted to be a lawyer, but I want to be one of those lawyers you see in court, right? Like mm. on To Kill a Mockingbird and all these shows, right? But I quickly learned that I didn't want to be a criminal lawyer. I didn't want to do that. I had to a deep interest in real estate. And I said, well, I'm going to law school. How can I possibly combine, marry those interests of real estate investing? At the time, I was just kind of starting to get into it and law. And as you know, the courses went by in law school, you know, I took real estate courses, corporate law, all that sort of stuff, real estate finance. And it just sort of like came together. I didn't really like any like any of my other courses, but I did love the real estate. Nice. And, um, and yeah, so after, you know, I graduated law school here in uh, Toronto, and I worked for a firm for about a year to get my, we call it articling, it's like an apprenticeship to get your letters. And um, basically, right after working for someone for a year, I just went out on my own. Nice. Um Started my own law firm with a partner who, a business partner who also went to law school with, and he worked at one of those big fancy law firms downtown. I worked in a boutique firm with, you know, a, a very knowledgeable law, lawyer who was a pretty wise person, and he yeah. did all this sort of development work, and and so I got a good experience there. And you know, since then I've been really focusing on helping not only people buying real estate, like I'll help the occasional, you know, mom or pop sort of situation where they're buying real estate to live in it. Yeah. But, their own personal residence type. Right. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. So of course I'll, I'll help people like that. But my main focus is real estate investors. Nice. And that's sort of how I brand myself. And a lot of real estate lawyers, you know, when you 
start spitting the lingo at them, burr, wholesaling. They have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And um, so I kind of saw that right away. And as I was going through investments, doing, you know, short-term rental, I did my very first uh, investment was a house hack here in Toronto, which, you know. Your, your own personal possible. investment or the your client yeah. was a house hack? No, no, my personal investment ah, was a house yeah. hack in Toronto, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. people do yeah. invest, still invest in Toronto these days, but it wasn't crazy as it is now. So um, it, it, the numbers actually made sense back then. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was my first investment. Did, you know, Airbnb, short-term, midterm rentals. Um, got into a bit of private lending um, and some buy and hold. Eventually started working with, um, as you know, in a legal capacity, helping out a team of developers that do developments across Canada and the United States. So got uh, a good understanding of you know that sort of uh, that sort of world, and basically kept narrowing in on helping investors. And it ranged from anyone who was you know from one end, which is you know people just buying a property, their first investment, maybe they want to rent a basement to, you know, wholesaling, burr flipping, um, re- and, you know, to the big, big uh, sandbox syndications, syndications and uh, joint ventures, GPLPs, that sort of stuff. Oh, um, that is great, Antonio. Yeah. So you're, you've definitely found your lane. You get to be surrounded by real estate all day long and make a good, good buck at it. And at the same time, see what other people are doing and, and see what you want to be focusing on. So yeah, uh, yeah I got a bunch of questions, but the first question I, uh, I got for you is um, what you personally, now that you've seen real estates from so many different angles through yeah. education, through your own personal experience, but just as importantly, through everything that you've done with your clients, what's your personal investing focus these days? Where, where are you headed? as a real estate investor yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, long-term I'd like to do a multifamily property, but um, at this point now, the way the market is and what I'm seeing in the legal world is um, it's a little, not that I'm worried, but you know, it's, it's kind of cause for concern. And I think a lot of certainly my clients and a lot of investors I know are kind of just sitting on their money and kind of let's just wait and see what happens. I mean, as you probably see, know, see, see what see what Bob Ford decides to do. Uh, exactly. And you know, see what happens, what's going on with the central bank. And, you know, flipping obviously has been much more difficult these days with higher interest rates and higher uh, costs of like lumber and all that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, I mean, I'm personally doing private lending, but you know, in in a high intra, in a high inflation environment, we all know private lenders tend to, tend to lose, right? Because you're getting you're getting you know private lending. The way it works is you get a certain amount of money every year normally, and um, you know if that money is losing value over time rapidly, well, you're actually getting less of a return than you think you're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think it's a great time to be in hard assets, especially real estate, but you know, not only real estate, I'm, I've personally invested quite a bit in gold and silver. Um, I don't see it as an investment per se. I see it more as a hedge against inflation, but I think I still 
hold fast to the idea that real estate is just a superior investment in every way. And I think especially during these times, when we have all this uncertainty and inflation, um, it's going to come out the other end of this uh, in yeah. good shape. So perfect. Well, hey, now the other questions I have for you are now that you've been in in the legal side of the game for some time. I'm sure you've seen a lot of people do a lot of stuff yeah. right. And you've seen a lot of people do a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing your clients or other real estate investors making that just make you go, geez. Well, Dave, I could, if you want to, it depends how much time you have. Cause that <laughs> well, let, let's focus on the big, biggest ones. Let's, let's focus yeah. on, you know, the mom and pop real estate investor, maybe sure. not a big time syndicator, but, you know, the mom and pop real estate investor, sure. what are some of the biggest mistakes you see them making that they can avoid? One of them is the simplest mistake you can think of, which is not having anything on paper. Mm -hmm. um, it's the biggest issue I see uh, among newbies who are just getting into it. You know, he's he's good for it. We're good for it. Don't worry. We don't need anything on paper. I see this a lot in family joint ventures. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's not that people have bad motives. It's that, you know, we're human beings. People forget about things that we put in the contract. Circumstances change. You might mis miscommunicate something or interpret something right uh, the wrong way. So um, that's one of the big things. I always say when I have family joint ventures, you know, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, it's a great way to get started if you're really new because, you know, you got an uncle or a mom or, you know, brother or whatever. And, you know, there's obviously a higher level of trust between family. Um, so it could be a good way to start getting your capital going. But on the other hand, you know, with family, it's sort of the lines obviously blur between business and family. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, I'll send, I'll give you the money next month. Well, what about when I help mom do this? Like, right, all that stuff starts getting in there and... So I tell, I tell, you know, when, when people say, well, I don't want to have an agreement because, you know, how can I go to my dad and say, sign this agreement, right? It's, it's like, I don't trust him or her or whatever. Right. And I say, well, here's a good tip. Tell them it's not that I don't trust you. It's that I don't trust myself to remember everything that we talked about. So this is why I want it in writing. And you don't have to call it a joint venture contract. You can call it a, a family joint venture agreement. Agreement. And, you know, make it a few pages at least. And, uh, you know, at least you have something, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of ties into the next red flag I see, which is very short contracts. And, you know, say you got a couple, couple buddies, you're going in on a deal. You're going to put in this much. They're going to put in this much. Uh, this is the title to the, pro this is the name of the property. You have that down and we're going to take the profits, sell the property and do it all over again. That's in the agreement. It's about a page or two, right? Mm -hmm. no, not, sounds not bad, but it's, it's not good because, you know, there's not, it's better than, it's better than nothing at all, but yeah. you know, yeah. there's nothing there about exit rights. There's nothing there about, you know, death, divorce, disability, what happens, what happens if there's capital calls, right? Um, you know, joint ventures can be very, very complex um, endeavors, right? Yeah. And so you just, you just, so what I always say, of course, I'm going to say this, 
but you know contact a lawyer preferably an investor focused lawyer who you know he's they're not going to kill the deal they're going to look at it like an investor and say but look at it also with a lawyer hat on and say okay i know your budget is 500 bucks this is what i'll do for 500 bucks it'll cover most of your bases you're not going to get these but if you're okay with that here you go mm -hmm. um, the last thing you want to do is you know when a lot of investors are cash strapped right so especially the newbies so you don't want to go to one of these big firms and they're going to you know, charge it down the nose, charge a 15 grand for a contract that, you know, they have a, an associate pump out in an, uh, you know, an articling student pump out in an hour. So, you know, it's, it's really important to get one of those investment focused lawyers. Um, so I, another that, that brought up some, some points for me though. So your first point there about the family, I see that all the time, Antonio, because as you know, we, we help people raise private capital, do joint ventures, that sort of thing. And and quite frankly, friends and family is is For where sure. most newbies need to start. Yeah. But I love what you said there. I really, and I want to hit that home. If you're concerned about Uncle Fred getting his nose out of joint, doing a formal contract with you, that's right. Just change the title a little bit and then explain it to Uncle Fred that, this is for you so that you don't forget all the stuff that you guys agreed on uh, more yeah. than it is for Uncle Fred, not that you're not going to trust him. Here's what I always tell people, and I want your opinion on this, Antonio. Sure. I say, when you are working with a close friend or a family member, treat it as if you were working with a complete stranger. Treat it as if you were working with a an accredited investor. So if you were working, even if you're just kind of a mom and pop getting started doing your first joint venture, doesn't matter. Because here's what you're going to do. If you were working with an accredited investor, that person would insist on, number one, a, a good legal contract. Number yeah. two, they would insist on getting their own independent legal advice to look over that contract. Number three, they would be expecting regular reporting and regular mm -hmm. meetings with the active partner. So do that with Uncle Fred too. Do all of those things with Uncle Fred, get things rolling, then have on the side, have that spit and a handshake deal with Uncle Fred where you say, hey, Uncle Fred, if you ever have any questions about this deal or whatever, you know, I'm just a text away, a phone call away. We're going to have our regular quarterly meetings. We're going to take care of it. It's all going to be good. But let's make this side deal. When we get together with the family, Let's keep that family time. And when it's business, let's keep that separate from the Thanksgivings and Christmases and all that kind of stuff so that we just, we don't mix things up too much. Does that sound fair, Uncle Fred? So that way you're setting yourself up for success with Uncle Fred. Plus you're getting in those good habits that you're going to need to have when you start bringing on other investors, other joint venture partners, start syndicating that sort of thing. What are your thoughts around that, Antonio? Yeah, I, I think that's excellent advice. You want to get into the habit of knowing what a good document looks like, you know, knowing what the right thing to do is, knowing, you know, you're, you're doing that communication. You're going to have that clause in the joint venture agreement that details how and when you're going to get regular communication. You're going to have a complete um, pro forma. You're not going to have a dog's breakfast. Right. You're going to do the you're going to do the ILA because here's the thing. It's not just important from a legal point of view. And this is this is where, you know, for, getting... for people that didn't catch that ILA is independent ILA. legal advice. Yeah, that's right. 
So, you know, you have your GP who's arranging for everything and maybe he or she has 10 limited partners or let's not use the legal lingo and say passive investors and you got your active investor and, you know, you should send each of those passive investors and say, look, I've got my own lawyer. Um, you know, we've discussed this. I want you to go to your lawyer and discuss this with, with your lawyer. And number one, that creates trust. So we're talking the business side. It's important from the legal side. I'll get to that in a minute. But from the business side, it creates trust with that party, right? Because you're basically sending them to their own lawyer, make the decision on your own and see if it's right for you, right? So that creates trust. And the, the other thing from a legal point of view is if you don't send them to legal advice, and the enter the contract or the joint venture, whatever, and things don't go as they expected them to go. They can make which, the which argument. Which happens sometimes. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. They can make the argument that they didn't know what they were signing. They didn't have an independent legal advice. And they can unwind um, the agreement. They can get their money back. They can sue you. So you, you want to avoid that, right? And for them, independent legal advice, the three to 500 bucks, you know, and they get that, they're good on their end, you're protected as the GP. And, you know, it's it's just best best for everyone. Yeah. And if they if they really don't want to get independent legal advice, at best least get them it. to sign off on a document oh, saying sure. that you really recommended they get their own independent exactly. advice and they've chosen not to. And that should yeah. help cover your ass as well. Yeah. Well, sure. hey, one as we're wrapping up here, Antonio, one of my pet peeves. And I don't know if the, this isn't so much a legal thing. It's more of a securities type thing, but I'd love your, your thoughts on this. Um, I see so many people who sh should know better posting, looking for oh, wow. investors yeah. on social media. I mean, I just saw a guy who's a pretty big name. Like he's, he's making a splash. He's, causing getting a lot of attention he's doing all sorts of different stuff and i just saw him post on facebook hey i'm looking for five investors who want to double their money and blah 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 and it's like oh my god don't yeah. do that um what, what what are your thoughts about that what what's yeah so this is the area what lawyers call securities law as you probably know and they've dealt with before and basically it's a complex area but i'm going to just simplify in a sentence anytime you're selling an investment which means that i'm buying something from you with the expectation of a profit and that expectation of a profit is dependent on your efforts or a third-party effort that is potentially a security and when you're issuing securities you have to follow certain rules and they're very strict. They're one of the only uh, rules in the private sphere that can land you in jail. So you really want to be careful when you're trying to raise money. And this is why you need a multifaceted lawyer. You don't just want to know how to structure the deal on the corporate end, how to buy the property on the real estate end and how to you know do other things. You want to know how to raise money and to do it legally. And so generally when people are doing this, you want to contact the securities lawyer, but generally this is going to fall on what's, uh, what's called the private issuer exemption. And the private issuer exemption basically lists 
um, a number of ways that you can raise money without doing what a public company needs to do, which is issue a prospectus and, and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and it allows for certain exceptions, but it's, it's, you know, it's a complex framework and you got to follow the rules. So when your marketing materials um, are doing, like you said, they're on Facebook, those people who are posting stuff on Facebook, this, they're issuing securities and they're, you know, I'm guessing the OSC, the Ontario Securities Commission isn't watching that Facebook group. So they're getting lucky, but they can get in a lot of trouble, um, especially they're going to get in trouble, not necessarily when they're trying to market the stuff because the OSC isn't looking at everyone at every time, but they're going to get in trouble if things don't go well with an investor and they didn't follow the rules and they didn't file, they didn't do the right filing requirements, they didn't have the proper disclosure in their marketing materials. Yeah. Um, and they could, best case scenario is that the client can ask for all their money back and they have the right to do that. Even if you lose their money, they can say, well, you didn't give me the proper disclosures. I want the hundred grand that I got back and they can get it back. Um, you can be fined a lot of money. You can um, be banned from doing any sort of capital raising ever again, or at least for a long time. And worst case scenario, you can end up in jail. So, you know, I always tell clients, our team deals with raising money. We have people on our team, you know, spend the time, spend the hour. It might, you know, this is, this is an investment in your career, right? And mm -hmm. if you're spending an hour, spend 300 bucks or whatever it is to understand what can I do? What can I do? When do I at least need to consult a lawyer? When am I okay? Um, just knowing that will put you in really good steed and will separate you from the pack from a lot of these guys that are, you know, frankly, sooner or later, they're going to get in big trouble. And it's really only a matter of time because not yeah. all your things are going to go right. And, and, and we've we've seen a few high profile cases out West in, in Saskatchewan over the last couple of years, just things imploded. No, that's fantastic advice, Antonio. So if people want to connect with you and find out more, what can they do? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook at Antonio Domino and generally all social media. But if you want to connect with my uh, law firm, you can reach me at www.drlawyers, like Dr. drlawyers.ca. Perfect. Thanks very much for being on the show. It's been great and I appreciate your insights. Thanks, Dave. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everybody. Yeah.